Well, good afternoon, everybody. Glad you're here. It's an honor to be in church with you. I understand what David said when he said, uh, I was glad. I was glad. You know, there's a verse. It's a really, it's, it's, um, it's a difficult verse. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, and it says, an illegitimate child, a bastard, it says, can't enter for 10 generations. That's what it says. And uh, it's strong, strong verse. When you, when you study Joseph, Joseph's a big deal in the Bible. In fact, um, you know, when, you, when God made this creation, five words, he made the stars also. That's what it says, five words. And of course, stars are a big deal, but when you look at Joseph, when you start at chapter 37 of Genesis and go through the end of, you know, it's 50 chapters in Genesis. And it's, so there's, there's 13 chapters devoted to Joseph at the end of, so it, it's a big deal. And when I say 13, you're going, wait a minute, there's 14 chapters between 37 and 50. And you're right, because there's one chapter that's out of sync. One chapter, it's chapter number 38. Chapter 38 tells the story of Joseph's brother Judah. And Judah's boy was married to this girl named Tamar. Her husband died. In fact, it said God killed him. So she married another one of the boys. The Bible said he was evil. God killed him. So there's one boy left, and the father-in-law promised his third son to Tamar. I mean, man, after a while, you'd think she's a black widow or something, you know? And uh, I don't know, Daddy, if I want to marry her or not, you know? And uh, <laughs> However, of course, when the boy grew up, um, Daddy didn't let him marry Tamar. So she decided she was going to get him back. And the Bible said she dressed up like a harlot and she seduced her father-in-law. And he didn't have any money to pay her for services rendered, so he took this ring off. It's called a signet ring. When I lived in Japan, they had a thing called a hanko. You'd get this, a lot of times they were made out of ivory and they weren't cheap, but they would engrave a symbol in the bottom of this stamp and you registered it with the government and so you didn't have to sign your name to stuff. You just took out your, your stamp, your hanko and that was the equivalent of your signature. So when you talk about a signet ring, that's what they did, but they had wax. They just pushed that ring in there and that was your... Judah gave his signet ring and he didn't know it was her to his daughter-in-law and he had this staff that was passed down from generation to generation between leaders of the family. When he went back the next day to pay her, he got some money, she's gone. And nobody knows who she is. So a couple months later, he gets this rumor, Tamar's going to have a baby. And buddy, he gets mad. So he takes Tamar out in public and they're going to stone her to death because she's a scarlet woman. And then Judah makes a real terrible mistake. He said, do you even know who the dad of this kid is? And she reaches in her pocket and she said, yeah, you recognize this ring? And she said, I got your stick in my house. And buddy, it humiliated him. I've been working on a book for a couple months. It's called uh, Unreaped Corners. In the Old Testament, you weren't supposed to cut all your food down. Don't cut all the corn down. Don't cut all the wheat. Leave some of the corners unreaped. So that when the visitors, when strangers came through your land, they, they could find something to eat. I approach the Bible like that. I think there's a lot of places in the Bible a lot of people don't go. 
I call them unreaped corners. One of them is Matthew chapter 1. Most people, when they read Matthew chapter 1, they start at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Because the first 17 verses of the book of Matthew are what is known as genealogies. This guy begat this guy, and this guy begat this guy. And I know Matthew. You find it for me, Matthew. It's in Matthew 1. It says, and Judah begat Perez and Ezram from Tamar. Okay? That's in that, all that lineage stuff in Matthew chapter 1. And if you count from Judah through those verses in the book of Matthew, Judah had Pharez, Pharez had this guy, on a count 10. And you'll come to David. David is the 10th generation after Judah was involved with his own daughter-in-law. That's why David said this. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Because he's the first one in 10 generations in his family that were able to go back to the temple. Thank God we're not living like that today. Thank God. Jesus said, all who are weary, come. Will you stand with me, please? This is Genesis chapter 35 and verse 1. We welcome all of you. Thank you so much for coming. We had a magnificent service earlier today. I'm looking forward to the day. We'll build a new church over there in the dirt. We're closing in on the end of our first year. I've written a letter. You'll you'll get it soon. Um, We're going to do a recommitment service in April. Uh, We're on track for $5 million. And so we're grateful for that. And It'll take 14 to 16 months to build a new church. So um, I'm, I'm flying by the seat of my pants right now, but it's not unreasonable to believe that we can build the church debt-free. And so um, we'll see. We'll see. <clears throat> but we've added a lot of families since last April when we began. Our, com- our campaign's known as Imagine so there's two words in imagine, I'm in. And a lot of you have joined in and we're grateful for the sacrifices you've made. And, um, but we'll do a recommitment service in April and um, we've had a lot of new families. They want to be a part of the thing. So, you know, many hands make light work. We're all coming together and grateful for what's being done. Um, I'm so glad that the kingdom of God is not tied into an inflation index. <laughs> Jesus name. I've just seen God keep people employed when everybody else lost their jobs and I believe in this thing very strongly. People that don't give always say the same thing. I can't afford it. But the people that do give always have these amazing testimonies about what God did in their life. And this church has been full of them and I there's a may I, I don't have time to Wow, I got them in my mind right now. I'd love, whatever. Genesis 35. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar unto God that appeared unto you when, when you fleddest. We don't talk like when you were running from your brother Esau. I, I want to teach you a thing today called the greatest duet you've ever, you will ever hear. The greatest duet you'll ever hear. Why don't you turn around, shake somebody's hand, say something really nice to them. If you don't know their name, introduce yourself to them. And uh, just say something good to everybody. Praise the Lord. When I was, when I was, uh, I don't know, 16 maybe. I, I, was, I was a young teenager and my mom asked me, 
Where are you at, mother? You're here. She's probably over here. These lights are strong. This is my mother, Esther. She's amazing stuff. My mom asked me, Harold, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, I would like to learn to fly an airplane. And I want to see a baby born. And I want to go around the world before I'm 25. And she said, you were always such a different little kid, Harold. (laughs) (laughs) But I did all of those things and I celebrated my 25th birthday in Heathrow in London and had preached around the world. And, you know, I I used to belong to something called the Emerald Club, which was the uh, Eastern Airlines. And I, I, I had hundreds of thousands of miles with Eastern. They went belly up. I lost the miles. Then I belonged to one with U.S. Air, and they went bankrupt. <clears throat> then I joined Northwest because that was supposed to be the best one, and I had 700,000 miles in Northwest when they went bankrupt. And uh, so now I'm with Delta, and <laughs> I was adding it up the other day, and it's, it's a lot of miles. That's just on planes. I... I've been on buses and trains and rickshaws. And (laughs) and in spite of all of the miles that I've traveled, I've never really ventured very far from my roots. I was in Indianapolis yesterday and the day before. And to the 1,200 new friends that I met this weekend, and many of you are watching now, I, I want you to know I had a great time with you. Hundreds of people (laughs) told me this week, we watch this service every week. We don't miss. People all over the country. So give me some money, okay? I need some money. (laughs) I I don't want a dime for myself, but I want to build a new temple. And people gave me money while I was there. They came up to me, so we'll put that in the pot today. Grateful for that. But uh, I had this big burly guy just hugged me, almost picked me up off of my feet. He said, I'm a coal miner from West Virginia. And he said, I can tell you're a hillbilly, aren't you? <laughs> he said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I am. My pal Jeff Woodworth is in here somewhere. He might be on a security detail today. He's been here for 35 years, but he says, hi, I'm Jeff Woodworth. I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> Something about home. Few, few can escape it. Salmon. I took my dad salmon fishing on his 70th birthday. We went to Alaska. These, these salmon, they're, they're called fry. They're, they're born in these little pools. They, they, it's freshwater. They go down the river, and then they go into the ocean, which is salt water. They live in salt water for three years. And then they come back, and they don't know how they do it. If, if, if nothing's not blocking their way, they find the exact pool in that stream where they were hatched three years before. The best guess is minerals that are in the water. They, they think they're able to remember what home smelled like. And they just keep going to these rivers and go, nope, that's not it, until they find that stream. Fascinating stuff to see. Uh, geese, whales. Uh, the, the call of home is so strong with predators. Uh, or that that uh, they use that against their prey. Bears. When when I took my dad to Alaska, our competition was the bears. We'd go around a turn, and there'd be a bear standing there over these rapids, and one of these fish, they, they, they were amazingly efficient hunters. We were there for the salmon. The bears were there for the salmon. They knew they're coming back. Hunters, they knew the migratory patterns of geese. I was studying about whales, kind of really whatever. But there are people that still chase whales. Well, they really don't chase them. They wait for them because they know the whales are coming back to a specific place every year. 
I remember the first time I ever saw The Wizard of Oz. And uh, Frank Baum wrote The Wizard of Oz in 1901. He knew when he wrote it, it was going to be a hit. And I still remember, you know, Dorothy saying, no place like home. No place like home. If you're a student of classic literature, then you know about a guy named Homer who uh, wrote a book called The Odyssey about a, a soldier. Some people call him Ulysses. Some people call him Odysseus. Coming back home to Ithaca after the fall of Troy. Law enforcement officials know the tendency of escaped convicts to go back home. I've been to Benville Parish in Louisiana. Every year in uh, Gibbsland, they, um, they have a Bonnie and Clyde festival. And that's how they stop those infamous bank robbers, Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker years ago. They knew they were going to come back home. Jacob ran from his brother. If you know the Bible, Jacob tricked his brother with a bowl of beans and got the blessing and fooled his daddy and his daddy put his hand on him. And When Esau realized his brother had stolen his birthright, he told him, he said, when daddy dies, we're going to dig two holes in the ground. I'll wait till daddy dies but I'm going to kill you. So his mom got terrified and she got her boy out of town. And Jacob, he's not a young man. He's he's in his 60s. He's running from his brother and he ends up in this place called Luz. Luz is, is an interesting, Luz means an almond branch cut off. I've been fooling with wood for a long time. and um, Most trees have three component parts. They have a hard core that, that's called pith, P-I-T-H. And then around the pith is something called cambium. And then on the outside is the bark. Almond wood is unique. It doesn't have any cambium. It's all dense pith. So when almond wood, or almond, however you pronounce it, when, it, when it dries, it's drier. It's considered the driest. Well, I know when I mess with wood, I use a moisture meter, and I put this on that piece. Because if you, if you cut a piece of wood and you try to make a piece of furniture and there's too much moisture in it, it's going to shrink because it's, it's a living thing, you know. And so you've got to learn when you do panels and stuff indoors you, you, you don't glue that. You don't nail it. You've got to let it float because it's going to expand and contract. And, and uh, fascinating story about this because in the Old Testament, they had these 12 extended families called tribes. And Moses is leading them and they build the Tabernacle of Moses, which is really the first Old Testament church house. And the, the staff for the church always came from the family of Levi. And other people got jealous and said, you know, we want to do that. And Moses said, look, it's not my idea. I felt God told me to do this. So he said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take the staff of the leader of every tribe and we'll put it in the church house and we'll see what happens. And these sticks, these, these you remember what's that? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Remember that in the book of Psalms? The, these staffs were given from one generation to the other it was it's a big deal and so Moses takes these 12 sticks and puts them in the tabernacle and the next morning it says and the rod of Aaron budded blossomed and bore almonds (laughs) nothing happened to any of the others but that dry dead stick that Levi had had all them years came from Aaron it, 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 not, it had buds, it had leaves, it had nuts on it overnight. So it was a big deal when that happened. So when Jacob is running from his brother, he, he, he's exhausted, and it said he used a rock for a pillow. And he went to sleep, 
And he had this famous dream that's known as Jacob's Ladder. If you fool with any other translation, it's known as a staircase. And he had this vision, this, it wasn't monologue, it was dialogue. It was angels were going up and angels were coming down. And don't ever doubt it, ladies and gentlemen, there is traffic between the throne of the Lord and our world. Don't you ever doubt that. And he wakes up and he says, this is the house of God. And he gets a bottle of oil and he starts sprinkling it all over that place where he was. And he said, this will never be known as Luz anymore. This is going to be Bethel, Bethel. I remember when I was a young pastor, we needed to move. We were in an old school in Madison Heights. I found this piece of property had a sign for sale. Two other churches owned this property and they gave up. So difficult with the city, they said, forget it. We're never going to build a church there. In fact, one of the pastors was here when we dedicated the building and he said, how did you get this building built? And uh, I don't have time to tell you that story, but it's a great story. I see this property and I had some oil in my truck and I pulled over and it was all weeds and that there was all junk cars and stuff and people had been putting, it was a dump for years. And I, I got out of my truck and I'm pouring this oil on this weed field. And I'm sure if anybody saw me, they thought I was nuts. But I got that idea from Jacob. Just anointing that ground. And uh, here we are, you know. And uh, you ever heard of Bethlehem? Christmas had been up, Bethlehem. Does anybody know what the word Bethlehem means? House of bread. Very good. Bethlehem. Beth means house or house of. In the Old Testament, God went by several names, but one of them was Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim. And there are lots of places in the Bible where you will see these two letters, E-L. El Shaddai, you know. When you say Beth El, it's saying house of God. So Jacob renames what was a very dry place. And now he said, this is God's house. He goes to Midian and he ends up marrying the daughters of this man. That's where he gets Rachel and Leah. He's got all these kids, massive flocks and herds. He went broke, but boy, after 23 years of being gone, he said, really it wasn't him, it was the Lord said, it's time for you to go back home. And so he went out penniless. It's fascinating, if you study his prayer when he's at Luz, this is what he said, if God will be with me, and if he will keep me in the way that I go, and if he'll put clothes on my back, and food in my belly, and enable me to go home in peace. He said, I'll serve him, and I'll tithe of everything that I ever make in my life under the Lord. Hmm. So people who say tithing is with the law, nah, there were people paying tithes a long time before the law ever showed up. Tithing's a way of life. And, uh, and so, he, God, God answered his prayer. Now you can understand this guy's at least 67 years old. We think he's 16. No, he's at least 67. And I've proved that in our Bible classes sometimes. He, he, his daddy is Jacob, or rather his dad is Isaac, and his grandpa is Abraham. So he's been raised in a place of faith, but this is what he said. If God will be with me, then he'll be my God. So even though he's been raised in this house of faith with his dad and his grandpa, he really doesn't have a relationship with God himself. And he, he asked God, you do this and I'll serve you. Okay. 
God honored his prayer, blessed him fabulously. And then the Lord said, it's time to go back home. But what amazes me is what he went back to. He didn't go back to the house he was raised in. He didn't go back to the house of his mother. In fact, his mom's dead. He had a nanny and uh, her, her, her name um, was, uh, 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 try to remember what her name was. I'll think of it here in a moment. She's dead. Her house is gone. His mom's dead. Her house is gone. Where did he go back to? To the place where he first met God. He went back to Bethel. If you, Bible's the most sold book in the world. They did polls. What book do you read? The most read book in the Bible is Psalms. The most read Psalm is Psalms 23. Which means that Psalms 23 is the most read piece of literature in the history of movable type. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Make of me to lie down in green pastures, still waters, restores my soul, puts a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. It's the story of sheep that are on a trip, but they're coming back home. And there's a lot of obstacles to coming back home, but the Lord put a table and spread a table in front of my enemies in spite of all of the obstacles. And this is how it ends, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the story of sheep. We're the sheep. We're God's flock. He's our shepherd. Coming back home. I don't know if you've ever had this experience or not, but did you ever go back to where you were raised? It's never quite the same. It's never quite the same. I, I, Jeff Woodworth took me hunting last year in Wisconsin. And he took me down through this little town where he was raised in. And that's where I went to school. And that's where my mom worked at the shoe store. And this is the park that we used to play in. And here's where I had trouble for the very first time and on and he was showing me the high points of this little town that he was raised in. I took my girls back to where I lived. I, I was raised in a small coal mine village called McKinleyville. Just a scattering of houses on the side of a, ho- a hill and the Buffalo Creek went down and we called it Crick Creek. To most people, crick is something that's in their neck. But when I was a kid, that's where you fished, in the crick. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I was raised in a very small church, and I, I, I didn't have many friends. And so I learned to entertain myself. And I remember spending a lot of time alone when I was young. And I had a shotgun. I had a Mossberg 12-gauge shotgun. And I had a fishing pole. And I had a dog, a magnificent beagle by the name of Prince. And he was, he was a prince. And books. And that's how I entered. My, my daughter, she's got an iPad. She has an iPhone. She has an Apple Watch. I remember as a kid, a guy named Dick Tracy. He used to talk in his watch. My daughter talks in her watch. That just seemed crazy when I was a kid, but... That's reality now. But my daughter, I'm bored. I'm bored. So I would hunt in the fall and I would fish in the summer. And I always had this dog with me. And uh, I, uh, my neighbor killed my dog. And uh, we didn't have fences. And this old man, Mr. Adams, killed my dog. I haven't forgotten Mr. Adams. <laughs> I read something a week ago. Grandpa died and this little boy asked his mom, Mom, am I going to see Grandpa again? And she said, not if you're good. 
That old man killed my dog. I hated that guy. I used to call him on the phone every night at three in the morning. (gasps) 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 He moved. (laughs) I was going to, I was going to help a guy move named Nip Fisher. He was moving and he wanted some help. So I offered to help. It's a sad story. I just still remember being in his truck and my dog running behind the truck. I want to come, I want to come. Because we went everywhere together. I still remember telling that dog, you go back home. So I worked all day helping this man move. And when I came home, nobody was there. But there was a note from my mom. Your dog's dead. And it's wrapped up in a blanket. (laughs) Go bury your dog. Man. It was traumatic. I put this dog in a wheelbarrow and I just kept walking. I was crying, man. I was, I was probably 15. And uh, I took my dog to a very special place, the swimming hole called Krusty's. I, I don't know where the name came from. It's just, that's what it was always called. We had this amazing swimming hole where the, the water would come around the side of the bend and when it flooded, over the years, it dug out this depression and there was these big, giant, massive rocks. And the hole wasn't that big and we'd dive off of these rocks. And you had to know where the water was or, you know, you'd scrape and cut and a lot of people got hurt at that place. They didn't know what to do. But we spent a lot of time there when we were kids. And so uh, it's special to me because, uh, you know, that... that I was five. I was, five. I was on a trip with Bianca and Kento a couple weeks ago. And, of course, she's going to have a baby. And she said, let me show you something, Pastor. And she showed me a thing on YouTube. They're throwing babies in swimming pools. Just throwing them in there. They go down, they come up, and they're just treading water. Well, I knew that experience, see. Because when I was five, my dad took me to that swimming hole. And he said, do you know how to swim? And I said, nope. And he said, well, there's no better time than now. And he grabbed me by the seat of my jeans and gave me a pitch. And I'm sure Matthew's got something behind me as he always does. Yep, that's me. (laughs) And I'm fighting and clawing and they call it dog paddling. And I finally got my head above water and I'm and, and, and he said, there you go, you're swimming. And now I'm drowning. Now you're swimming, you know, and I finally clawed my way back to the rock, and that's how I learned to swim. I buried my dog there. Above that swimming hole was this massive beech tree, probably six feet diameter. I don't know how old it was. I just remember I met Renee. My girlfriend's here somewhere. Where you at, baby doll? Can't see. Huh? She's teaching the kids. I met Renee when she was 12. When I came back from meeting my wife, I was 15. I climbed to the top of that tree with a chisel and a hammer. And I chiseled my initials, HH plus RC. Put a big heart around it, put the arrow through it. (laughs) I've never told that story until today. That was my girl, boy. Everybody told me her family would never let her marry me because I was such a hillbilly. They were wrong, and I won the prize. (laughs) So my girls start to grow, and I keep telling my daughter, I want to take you swimming in my swimming hole when I was a kid, and I'm going to show you that tree where I carved mommy's initials in mine. It'll still be there. So I drove back to West Virginia and I parked my truck down. My mother has, she's still there. Her name is Lucille Best. I, I, I went to go down this path that was always there and there's barbed wire across it with a big no trespassing. So I went to Mrs. Best's house and I said, Mrs. Best, Harold, Harold, is that you? Said, yes, ma'am. 
let me introduce you to my daughter. I want to take Brittany down to the swimming hole. And she said, oh, Harold, they're growing pot down there. You don't want to go down there. You, they could shoot you. And I said, well, I'm going or not. So I got out through the barbed wire fence. And it, it was a really nice path when I was a kid. But now it's got weeds and logs are falling over. And we finally get to the swimming hole. And I round this corner knowing there's going to be that big tree there. But the tree had fallen over and somebody had set it on fire and there was nothing left but a few little roots in the rocks. I wanted to take my daughter swimming. She was probably 10. All the rocks were covered with poison ivy. I knew I couldn't take that little girl with her little blue jean skirt down in that poison ivy. Her mom would have my head. I did find the rock with the little cross on it that I had chiseled where I buried my dog. And Brittany just said, Daddy, let's go. And I remember forlornly taking my daughter's hand. We walked back, crawled through the barbed wire, and and I've never been back. I had all these images in my mind of how great it was to go back. But it, it just wasn't... It just what, wasn't what I remember. I'm thinking of Jacob going back after 23 years. And these, I, wonder, I wonder if they'll accept me. I wonder, what about my brother? I wonder, I wonder if my dad's still alive. All of these things. Let me tell you about the Lord. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. One verse said there's not even the shadow of turning in him. This is substance, that shadow. Not even the shadow of turning in him. God is a constant. He doesn't change. In other words, you're always welcome in God's house. You're always welcome in God's house. And God... God called Jacob home, but it, it wasn't Jacob's idea. It was, it was God's. And what he called him back to was not the swimming hole and not the tree. It was that place where you prayed that prayer. That was not only my house, but that's your house. And, and, and he renames it El Bethel, which means before It used to be the house of God, but now I have met the God of the house. It's one thing to come to church. It's another thing to meet God at church. It's a whole different thing, man. It's, there's Bethel or I went to church today. Fine. What happened? You know, did you meet God? Did you have a divine encounter? You know, your word says your steps are ordered. Your times are in his hands. It's like the puppet master of the universe has designed this day today and got you here. This has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with these wonderful young people that sing all this. Nothing to do with that. It's a God that's saying, hey, it's time for you to go back to my house. It's time for you to go back to my house. And, and, and this is Zechariah chapter 10 and I will sow them among the people and they shall remember me in far countries and they shall live with their children and turn again here it is in the message although I scattered them to the far corners of the earth they'll remember me in the faraway places and they'll keep the story alive in their children and they will come back this is the story of the Jews who have come back to the land of Israel from all over the world. You read the book of James, it said, James, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And boy, were they ever. And look at what's going on today. They're coming coming back. You You can go back home. There are people, there are examples in the Bible of people that had nothing and came back home wealthy. There are people that, that had all kinds of stuff and came back broke, but they came back. And the cool thing is, you don't have to come back alone. 
One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Ruth. It's the story of a woman named Naomi and her husband and her two boys. And they live in a place called Bethlehem, Judah. (laughs) Bethlehem, as you already know, means house of bread. Judah, does anybody know what Judah means? Very good class. Judah means praise. They're living in the place of bread and worship. It's a type of word and worship. They're living in Bethlehem, Judah. And the Bible said there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem, Judah. There's a lot of things you can preach out of this. Number one is we cannot afford to have a famine in church. We cannot afford to to, to just say, oh, it's just another service. So what? And one of them's a redheaded stepchild and blah, 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 blah. It's just every every service is critical. Every, Every service is critical. And, 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 and you read the first, the first verse in the book of Ruth and it said, there was a famine in the land at the time of the judges. Now it's interesting because we still have the book of judges. And in the book of judges, there's only one famine. And it's the story of this amazing, amazing guy named Gideon. And God chose Gideon and, and, and he had 300 men and, and they shouted and they shined. The, the, the enemy would come and steal all their grain when it was time to harvest. And, and Gideon's hiding down there. And the Lord said, thou mighty man of valor. And he goes, you got the wrong guy. It's like Moses, you know. Here am I, send Aaron. <laughs> it's just, and God said, I'm going to use you. And he started out with thousands and he whittled them down to 300 and they got torches and they put a pot on the torch and they got trumpets and they got around this massive camp of the enemy. And, and Joshua said, all right, boys, break the pitcher. So they, they, they broke the pitcher and they started blowing their trumpets. And when they did, it was in middle of night, enemy wakes up, they think they're under attack. They kill one another in the dark, kill everybody. Great victory. Here's my point. Naomi's husband should have stayed because if he would have stayed, he could have been one of them 300. But he left Bethlehem, Judah, and he went to a place called Moab. Five times in the Bible, it says this, Moab is my wash pot. Moab's where I do my dirty laundry. Moab is not a nice place. Every time you leave Bethlehem, Judah, you're going to go to Moab. I don't care what goes on. You've got to stay with the Lord. You've got to stay faithful. And every now and then, something happens and people lose their way. When I was married, my wife quoted these verses to me. Naomi, her husband dies. Her two sons die. You got three widows, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. Ruth and Orpah are Naomi's daughter-in-laws. And she says, I'm going back home. I'm going back to where there's word and worship. I'm going back to Bethlehem, Judah. And they get on outside the city and and Orpah is bawling her eyeballs out. But she said, I'm sorry, I I can't, I can't. And she looks at her other daughter-in-law and this is what she said. Please don't ask me to leave you. Entreat me not to leave thee, because wherever you go, I'm going. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. And wherever you're buried, I'm going to get buried right beside of you. And it's a great typology of someone that finally wakes up and says, your God's going to be my God. Whatever you do serving God, I'm going to replicate your life. And you got buried in the name of the Lord, and I'm going to get buried just like you got buried Amen. in water baptism. And, 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 and what's, what's so powerful about this is Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem, Judah. And this is what he said, oh, it's Naomi. And she says, don't, don't call me that. She said, you call me Mera. Because she said, watch, I left full. And I have come back home empty. But according to the first verse, there was a famine. Things were bad. 
Things weren't nearly as bad as they thought they were. Because what they called a famine in verse number one, years later, Naomi said, we didn't even know it. We were full and blessed. But we walked away from all of that to go to a wash pot. I've seen that happen a long time. I got a man right there by the name of Bill Foster. And God put a bond between Bill and I years ago. And a series of events happened that were none of his, not his fault. And he went another way. And a little over a year ago, he called me and he said, Pastor Hoffman, could I come back? And it's like, really stupid? Do you really think you've got to ask me that question? Of course you can come back. So the first day he comes back, he said, I didn't come back by myself, Pastor Hoffman. I want you to meet my boys. And there they are, right there. Right there. And you, you can come back and you don't have to come back alone. And one of his sons just told me right here at the altar, he said, Pastor Robin, I'm joining the Marines. Would you pray for me? You betcha. Simplify. This will... I just, I just, I, I, I used to read books by a guy named Alistair McKenzie, and he said the greatest word in the Bible is come. Because in the book of Genesis, chapter 7 and verse 1, it said, and the Lord spoke to Noah and his family and said, come, come and get in the ark. I, I, uh, I, I got fascinated with an author years ago, named Stephen Ambrose. He wrote a lot of books. Probably his most famous one is called The Band of Brothers. Stephen Ambrose, without government money, raised an enormous amount of money to build the World War II Museum that's in New Orleans. And I preached in the South a lot. First time I went to the World War II Museum, I knew in my heart, I got to get my dad here. Before my dad dies, I got to get my dad here. My dad hated planes. He hated planes. It took me three years. But I was back in New Orleans and I called him and I said, I already bought you a ticket and I know how you hate to waste money. So don't waste mine. I bought you a ticket. I want you to fly down here next week. We're going to spend two days down here in New Orleans. And to my surprise, he relented and said, okay. I bring my dad up to the door of the World War II Museum. There's these four old men that met us, old fellers. Well, it's like I told the police officer not long ago, 70 is the new 50. (laughs) Anyway, these fellows are pushing 80. There's 5,000 of these men dying every day. Very soon, there will be no World War II veterans left. But here were these four old fellows, still in their uniforms, still good enough and skinny enough to wear their uniforms. Army, Marines, Navy, Air Force. Snapped to attention when my dad walked in. Where did you serve, sir? My dad, being my dad, said, look, I I was just a sailor. And they said, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that around here. Where did you serve? And he said, I was on a ship called the Mervine and I was in the Pacific and they saluted my father. Would you accompany us, please? We walk in there and if you've got anybody that's in the service, I recommend you do this or if you just like this kind of stuff. When we walk through the door, this massive place, it's huge. Would you all please stand and begin to clap your hands for Harry Hoffman? And they start singing this song, Anchors Away, my boy. Anchors Away. Ha! My dad is just, didn't cry. Come with us, sir. We went in this room with these massive books. Would you please sign our ledger, Mr. Hoffman? 
put his name there and the ship he was on and when he served. I'll go back. I'll find them books. I'll find that page. <laughs> I just I remember standing there with my dad and watching him so moved by these people that were just so welcoming to him. Come on in here. Be a part of this thing. Listen to this verse. It's at the end of the Bible. I, I, I need to stop. It says, this is the last chapter in the Bible. It says, and the spirit and the bride say come. See, see, it's one thing for the spirit of the Lord to want you. But this is supposed to be a duet. This is not a song simply to be sung by the Lord himself. The church has to be willing to join in with the spirit of the Lord and say, come here. Come here, come here, come here. There's going to be a moment. My head hurts when I see everything. I, I woke up early this morning. China is got all these forces that they're coming together. North Korea has just launched an ICBM missile that has the capability now to hit Indianapolis. A bank failed this last week in California and they're terrified that if the governor, if the government doesn't bail them out, that there'll be a run on banks. There's all this stuff going on. And the Bible said men's hearts are going to fail them for fear. And, and I've always tried to be a positive preacher, but in the book of Isaiah, it said his name is wonderful, counselor, prince of peace. And that the government, and it said, and, 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 uh, and of the end of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is what's interesting. When you get further in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, he is referred to as king of peace. Because it's just a couple of weeks now. Charles will no longer be Prince Charles. He's going to be made king. Because mama finally died after many, many years of sitting on the throne. The Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. And people get so terrified of all of that. But listen to me. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's not the power of the air. The Bible said every good and every perfect gift is from above. That's air. And cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I don't doubt that Satan is prince to the throne of Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Jesus said, I am he that was dead and now I'm alive forevermore. And the Lord almighty omnipotent reigneth. And those are present progressive verbs in the Greek language, which means I'm on the throne and I'm going to stay on the throne. So I don't care if Satan's a prince, just stay there. You're, see, it's one thing for Jesus to be prince of peace, but that's powerless. You got to make him king of peace. You got to put him on the throne of your life. And if Jesus is still occupying the same dimensions as when you first met him, that's wrong. It says, and of the increase of his government, and peace. In other words, the peace of God is in direct proportion to how much of your life he's in control of. How much is he governing right now? It's like inviting somebody, we'll bring you into the living room, we'll bring you into the kitchen, but where I live, you never took anybody in the backyard because that's where the dog was with the chain that drug all the, the hair and the, and the grass and that's where the 57 Buick is on the, on the, on the, on the, on the you know, the, the concrete blocks and that's where the old rusty 55 gallon barrel is where we burned our trash every day and it's just like, people live their lives like that. Okay, Jesus, I'll let you have Sunday and I'll come to church and I'll be a nice little, a nice little, Pentecostal, but, 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 but there are areas of my life you can't have. You, you, you can't go into my dreams. You can't go into my wishes. I, I, I'm never going to give you my failures. I'm never going to get, no, you, you're going to have to give it all to him. Okay. That's the way this thing works. Jesus said, you're either with me or you're not with me. This is all in, baby. That's a, this is a lifestyle change. This is someone that says, I have been in that world long enough. I'm tired of the fear. I'm tired of the anxiety. I'm tired of all this garbage going on. I, 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 
I'm telling you, of the increase of his, is his government increases, his peace will increase. And this is what said, there'll be no end. So if you're not going to serve the Lord, you better enjoy this world, baby, because this is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. But if you serve the Lord, you better understand this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. It's going to get better. Of the increase of his government and peace, there's not going to be an end. It's just going to get better and better. And so that's my challenge to you right now. How do you want, see if there wasn't a heaven and if there wasn't a hell, this is still a better way to live. Stand with me, stand with me. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You know what? Uh, Just come with me around this altar for a moment. I won't embarrass anybody. I, I know we got all kinds of people. I'm, thank you for coming. I, uh, I want to pray and then we'll do something else. In Jesus' name. Just, just, just come. Just, just, just move out of your seat. It, it, if nothing more than a sign to the Lord, I'm not staying where I am. I came here to change residence today. I'm going to get closer to you right now. Now, now if it's appropriate, you know, if it's appropriate, men to men, women to women. And if you felt directed, maybe just put your hand on the shoulder of someone by you right now. I want you to bow your head. I'm going to pray over us right now. If you could, I'd like you to pray with me. Lord, this is my brother. This is my sister. I think I know them well. I might not know them well, but I know you well. And I know what you've done in my life. And I'm no less and I'm no more than what I've got my hand on right now. I'm not praying for these people because I know more about you than they do. I'm not praying for these people because I'm closer to you than they are. The truth is, Lord, nobody in this room is as close to you as they could be. Nobody in this room knows as much about you as they could know. But your word commands me to pray for my brother and my sister. You said freely we have received, freely give away. So Lord, if there's anything good in me right now, I'm asking you to take it out of me and give it to my brother. I'm asking you to give it to my sister. I won't be empty, you'll give me more to give away. But I don't want what's inside of me just to be seed. If seed stays in the barn, the mice are gonna eat it up and the mold and the mildew are gonna destroy it. Seed was never meant to stay in a silo. Seed was meant to be sown into lives. And I ask you, God, for this gift that's inside of me was never meant to just reside in me. It was meant to be sowed. It was meant to be given away. So I give it away right now. If I've got my hands on somebody who's sick in their body, I'm asking you to take healing virtue out of me and heal their body right now. I'm not afraid of cancer. I'm not afraid of so many of these diseases. What I'm terrified of, God, is unsanctified flesh. I ask you, Lord, right now to heal my brother and my sister. If I've got my hand on somebody who's lost their way, I'm asking you right now for divine direction to come into their spirit, for them to know and be able to find their way back to you. North Star, shine in our lives right now, Jesus. If I've got my hand on somebody under duress, They've known great hurt and harm. I'm asking you, Lord, your word talks about the bomb of Gilead. I'm asking you, Lord, to take some salve out of me. I'm asking you to have some, to anoint their mind and their spirit. I'm asking you, Lord, the peace of God, which passes understanding. I don't even know why I'm at peace. I ought to be so full of fear and dread. And yet in a moment, you can take that fear away because perfect love casts out fear. And I'm asking you, Lord, let the peace of God reign in my life and in theirs because I can't give peace away if I don't have it. You said it's sown of them who have it. And if I don't have peace in my life, then I'm the, you're not going to answer this prayer. But I've got your peace in my life. And so I pray for my brother and sister right now. And I believe in you, God. Do a miracle. Your word says special miracles 
were wrought by the hand of Paul. And I know I'm not the apostle Paul, but I believe I do serve his God. And you can give special miracles to this place right now in the same way that you gave them then because you're no respecter of persons. We're gonna sing a song. It'll be a nice way. If you have to go, I understand. But at the end of this song, if you've got children in the nursery, I want you to go get those children, bring them up here. I wanna pray over them with some elders here at the end of this service. But together right now, Draylon's gonna lead us in a song. Everybody's in the choir, right? Don't just watch these people sing. How about the church join in with the Spirit? And let's sing a duet right now. And let it go like this. Come on, you're welcome here. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Jesus. Forgiveness. Forgiveness.